A podcast of the cinema hosted by you, Dave White, and me, Alonzo Duraldi. We are film critics. We write for The Wrap. I host other podcasts. We are married to each other. Is that all Is that all I am to you? Pretty much. <laughs> Besides your cook. <laughs> Don't forget chief bottle washer. You're, yeah, chief bottle washer. I have so many... But look at my bottles. You know, listen, they need to be washed. When, uh, well, I'm I'm sort of behind on washing them, as you can see. Get to, I, the bottles are stacking up. The, <laughs> the sink so is um, the sink is full of uh, bottles. The, the bottles, yeah. Um, I'm so excited to finish this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just starting, so. and. Put those chicken thighs into the oven ah. because I, sorry, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. I'll tell you, there's this recipe, see, where you take like sturdy, like cruciferous vegetables. Yes. Right? Cabbage. And don't turn up your nose to cabbage because it's very good for you, and it is sometimes often very delicious. Yeah, if you know you what you do, doing. it you do it wrong, then yeah, yeah, it's gross. What does Marjorie Maine say in Meet Me in St. Louis? Cabbage has a cabbage smell. Yes, <laughs> not necessarily. Not if you do it right. Not if you're doing it right. Um, I think Marjorie Maine boils everything in Meet Me in St. Louis. Well, Just it was 1903. That's yes, probably what what one did. Yeah. Um, you layered, like, I've got red cabbage and fennel, mm. right? Chop it all up. It's the bulb, not the wispy. The bulb. Yeah. Yeah. And you chop it up, you lay it on the bottom of the dish. Mm-hmm. Just put those, you could put a whole chicken on top of it. Yeah. You put chicken, th- I like chicken thighs. Yes. With the bone in and the skin on. And while the chicken cooks in the oven, all that fat, the schmaltz, if you will, comes out of it and cooks the vegetables under it too, so that they are absorbing all oh, the juicy. It's so good, and it stands to reason that this is a thing that you could do. And it took some online recipe to make me think about it and think, oh yeah. How have I never done that before? <laughs> what was I not thinking about when I could have been thinking about that? Probably thinking about some dumb movie. And <laughs> I could have been thinking about food. There's a variation of this that we've also made that I like a lot where you basically cut up a bunch of um, sweet potatoes and purple onions. Well, yeah. Into big hunks. And, and then more. lay the fries on top. <laughs> yeah, that time. works too. Um, I made that so much that we got sick of it. Kind of, yeah. And so this is my new thing that I'm going to make too much. Great. Yeah. Can't wait to get sick of this. 
Uh, gonna put it in the smart oven. Yeah, so you can watch the video while you're <laughs> can watch it on your phone while it's cooking. Exciting. Um, the new Kelly Clarkson smart oven. <laughs> we should just call it. You know, we were calling it Emirac because of the big computer and desk set. Because it let's just call it the room. Kelly Clarkson we oven. Just, we should yeah. just call it Ke- the Kelly, our oven Kelly. <laughs> we put the name of. Because I got it by sitting in the audience. No, but here's the thing. But see, then someone—if we do that, someone's gonna—it's gonna—someone's gonna tell someone who tells her or their her team or whatever, and then well, they're gonna come take it back. We will un—we will be unwilling, like zoomed into the show or something. <laughs> we can't. I don't want that. We can't be unwillingly zoomed into the show because we would have to agree to be zoomed yeah, into the right. show. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I see what happens, though, in these, these daytime talk shows. They're always, like, surprising people. Yeah. Oh, you named your oven Kelly because <laughs> you won it on the Kelly Clarkson show. <laughs> Long story. Go back and listen to earlier episodes yes, if you want to know the, the long story. The saga. We covered it. Um, but the... Uh, but yeah, it'll do it. Do, do, do we just... Do we take a boat? Do we just call it Kelly Clarkson? I think do we maybe, call the oven Kelly Clarkson? I think we just call the oven Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> and then we can talk about all the food that we're putting inside of Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> and new listeners will be like, What? <laughs> Yeah, it's an easier it's an easier uh, nickname than Emirac because Emirac is something you have to explain, right? Because everybody hasn't seen Desks. Shocking! Everyone who hasn't seen Desks set is missing out missing out on Desks set. But or you know we we also occasionally refer to it as the Science Oven, like Jennifer Lawrence's nah. American Hustle. Which yeah, that's too easy. Okay, I think I I think we've settled on the name. Okay, Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> Put some chicken and cabbage into Kelly Clarkson for 30 minutes. She'll do it up fine. 400 degrees. Kelly Clarkson will do you right every time. Uh, this is an unusual episode. Uh, yes, That we're fixing is. to do. It is. Because we've got one new movie. Yes. That will be in theaters only. Yes. Coming uh, a couple days. this week. Mm-hmm. And so I think for the very first time we're reviewing a film that Opens in 48 hours versus one that has been open for 48 hours. True. Uh, and the other three that we're going to talk about have been open for a time. Yes. Here's what happened. The Eternals. Uh, Eternals. Oh, not The Eternals? No. Just The, the name Eternals? of this band is Eternals. All right. All right. So Eternals and The Tragedy of Macbeth mm-hmm. and West Side Story. Yes. All opened in theaters. Actually, uh, Tragedy Macbeth, that's just our fault because it, 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 it was in theaters for like two weeks and then it, and then it went to Apple TV+. Plus. Did it really? Yeah. Oh, well, that was just our fault then. Yes. Uh, but Eternals was only in theaters. Yes, until and, it popped up on Disney+. Plus. And then it came out to Disney+. Plus. And then West Side Story is currently still only, in theaters. Still only in theaters. But we eventually got ourselves a, a screener DVD. Yes. Um, and it kills me that you did not I get to know, see it. I know it theater. kills you that I haven't seen it in a movie theater yet, but eventually one day I will. Yes. Um, and I want to see it again 
in the theater. Are we just going to start talking with West Side Story? Sure. Let's just start with West Side Story. You have covered this very briefly on an earlier episode. Yes. Uh, same with Eternals, right? Didn't you go see Eternals I at a press not. screening? I, you no, did not. I saw it in January when it when it premiered on right. Disney Plus. Yeah. Um, and uh, but you did go to West Side Story because yes. you had to review it yes. for the wrap, and this was like the very last screening that you went to before Omicron, Omicron really hard. Yes, kicked in and made us stay home again. Yes. And I was back and forth with myself, like, do I go at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday, It's not, mostly have the theater to myself? It's not doing well. I have it's, a good yeah, chance of having a pretty empty it's theater. It's not tearing up the box office. Do I do this, or am I terrified of everything? And I chose terror. Yes. Um, the... Uh, and then I, then I was rewarded for being uh, an extremely cautious uh, person because uh, you, did, that, you did not get Omicron. I didn't get I did a I did not get Omicron and B uh, I finally got to watch the movie. <laughs> I do want to see it on the screen yeah. because it it merits mm-hmm. that that grandeur that bigness. Yeah. This is the Steven Spielberg remake. Mm-hmm. Of the 1961 uh, multiple Academy Award winning film. Yeah. Didn't it win like a, like 10 of them or something uh, like that? A, long, a lot. A of lot. Them. Picture yeah. and I think director and supporting actor, supporting actress and some other things. Uh, an enduring American musical. Yes. That is also enduringly problematic. Also that. <laughs> And uh, this version takes very, actually very easy steps to do a lot of correcting um, of those, you know, problematic elements of the original film. Notably, this film actually casts uh, Latino people. Yes, in the roles uh, that are supposed to be played by Latino people, yes. and the uh, and the Spanish uh, dialogue is not subtitled. Well, there is Spanish dialogue. True. Like, yes. there's how much is there even in the first version of it? Not a lot. Here and there. Yeah, yeah like individual words. Sure. Yeah. Um, here, what you get is. Characters speaking Spanish in their homes or to each other. Yeah. Uh, and and this is what is so brilliant about this. Communicating what's going on, yet no subtitles for people who do not speak Spanish. Yes. Um, there is nothing in the film that is subtitled uh, for anyone's benefit. Yeah, I, um, as somebody who grew up speaking Spanish, yeah. it never dawned on me how othering the thing, the whole thing of subtitling everything that isn't in English is. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a, a practice that has been part of the movies, mm-hmm. uh, English language films at yeah. least, um, where English is the presumed language. If you are going to see this movie, it would help you if you spoke English. Um, and if other people in the film are speaking languages that are not English, they will be subtitled in English. For you, the English-speaking audience. For you, the English-speaking audience. 
uh, the sorry, the presumed English speaking audience. Right, exactly. Uh, and what I what I appreciate about this, not only is it done in such a way that, again, someone who does not speak Spanish, well, I understand yes. about ten percent of any conversation that's happening in Spanish around me, and I got that way because of your family, <laughs> who will just suddenly start speaking Spanish to each other, and. I sit there and go, okay, keep up, keep up, try to keep up, pick out important words, use context clues, do it. And, and you were in English as a second language teacher who had many students who came from Mexico yes. and other Spanish-speaking yes. countries. Yes. So I've learned some along the way. I cannot have a conversation with you in Spanish, but I can understand the gist sometimes. Sure. <clears throat> and in this film, it is specifically uh, conveying that gist to you. Uh, even though there are no subtitles for you, the non-Spanish speaking, uh, English only speaking audience member named Dave White. So, uh, the, the, the value of that, I believe, is the implied sort of assertion that English is a language in the United States. Spanish is also the language in the United States. They are the two main languages in the United States. And if you speak both, you're doing better than people who are not, you know, one or the other. Right. So the 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 sort of planting the flag, you know, for this is the way people speak in the United States. Yeah. Are you not used to it yet? Get used to it. Um... It's worth mentioning this uh, adaptation is written by Tony Kushner. It is. Who wrote Angels in America. Yes. And who also has collaborated Caroline with Steven Change Spielberg. On Munich. And Lincoln. And uh, I forget what else. Yeah. So perhaps only those. I don't know. <laughs> if you don't know the story of West Side Story, then think about it as Romeo and Juliet, because in many it high is. schools in the United States, what happens is they teach you Romeo and Juliet, and then they show you West Side Story. <laughs> that works. And, um, and when you were watching that earlier version of West Side Story, you were noticing uh, another thing that has been corrected. Uh, as we said, they cast actual uh, Latino people in the roles. Uh of of the Puerto Rican characters, uh, but you know everyone who plays a Puerto Rican character in the film is not Puerto Rican. Yeah. Um, the uh, uh, in the original, in the nineteen sixty one version, you had Rita Moreno, who I think perhaps was the lone Puerto Rican cast member of the principals, probably. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they put her in brown makeup yes alongside basically everyone else who was playing a puerto rican character yes um the same brown makeup right so that she and natalie wood would seem you know in inelegantly applied brown makeup mm -hmm. like if you see if you go back and look at it it is like you really notice it but is it a thing that you notice because you're watching it on like a high definition television now or like, have you, had you always noticed this? I had kind of always noticed it. Okay. I mean, it's very easy to notice Natalie Wood in yes. brown face. Basically. Um, 
but the uh, but even Rita Moreno, you know, they they did it to her too. Yeah, she's in this new version. Yes, she's fixing to be ninety, or she just turned ninety. I believe so. Yes, and she now plays obviously not Anita, <laughs> but she plays uh, the character that she won the Academy Award for in 1961. Uh, she now plays Valentina, who is kind of a new character, but she's basically the widow of the character of Doc, who existed in previous versions. The guy who runs the drugstore that is sort of the neutral territory where both the the Jets and the Sharks, the the uh, the Sharks being the, the the Puerto Rican, the the gang made up of the of Puerto Rican people, the Jets being uh, the sons of. Irish, Polish, and Italian immigrants right. who, who you know, tensely share this neighborhood and are constantly fighting over turf. Docs is sort of the neutral zone. And so Valentina is now the person who runs Docs right. and who tries to talk some sense into these hot-headed youths. Right. Um, their hot-headed uh, youth nature is made even more uh, sort of poignant by the way the film begins. And here's a, another difference. Instead of the film beginning with a very long overture, what you get now is the camera moving through rubble yeah. in midtown Manhattan uh, as what used to be called urban renewal yes. was taking place. Um, older apartment buildings being demolished, Poor people being pushed out and evicted. Um, and to make way for Lincoln Center and a bunch of high-rises that none of the previous residents of the neighborhood would ever be able to afford. Regardless of their race. Yeah. That's the thing about this. The gentrification that's coming is going to... Wipe all of them Is going to wipe everybody in this movie, in this story, out of the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and that turf won't matter anymore. Coupled with that is the, you know, uh, the white racism that is constantly directed at the Puerto Rican community, not just from the Jets, but also from the police yes. who are all white and who come in to the, to, the, to, the, to the rumbles and who break them up and say, go home, go home, stop this right now brushing off the the jets and often arresting yes the sharks and they would they would just as soon like get the jets assistance in arresting as many of the sharks as possible but the jets for for all their many other flaws have a sense of honor about not agree not cooperating not, with not the cops. cooperating with cops exactly <laughs> so tony and maria fall in love he is a Former jet. Former jet, but mm, he's currently on. He's gonna be a. He's, he's on, on parole. He's on parole. Yeah. He he did he kill someone or almost kill someone? He almost killed. Almost someone. killed someone. Yeah. He's trying to sort of you know straighten up and fly right, but his closest friend uh, Riff is still trying to drag him back into this conflict. And then yeah, Tony falls in love with Maria, and everything gets very complicated. Uh, Maria is played by uh, Rachel uh, Zegler. Zegler, and Tony is played by Ansel Elgort. Anita, yes, who is the actual star of this film. Uh-huh. 
Played by Broadway star Ariana DeBose. Ariana DeBose. She recently hosted SNL. Yeah. She was also in, uh, I think she was in Prom on Broadway. She's definitely in the Netflix version. Yeah. Um, yeah, she steals the movie for sure. Uh, LA Film Critics Very much her, the same way that Rita Moreno stole the movie. This is true. The first yeah. time around. Uh, LA Film Critics gave her Best Sporting Actress, which I was psyched about. And I think, um, I was going to get to this, you know, this West Side Story is still in theaters, yes. whereas Nightmare Alley, which the same studio released at about the same time, is now on Hulu and HBO Max. Yes. And I think what that's about is that the Oscar nominations come out Tuesday. Yes. And if West Side Story does really well, I think they're going to push They're going to hopefully draw people back again. into theaters. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I believe that the lack of box office success for this film if you're going to ask me a reason, mm-hmm. has to do with its target audience being skittish about going to movie theaters. Yeah, well, true. The target audience is old people. Yes. And so, and I'm one of them. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're over 50, you're the, you're the, you're the person they're hoping is going to come see this movie. Yes. Or you're just obsessive about musicals. Right. Um, they, uh, I think they miscalculated and, you know, we're hoping that there weren't uh, going to be any more surges well, yeah. in the pandemic. And then it just as it was opening, here came one. You know, this was a movie that was supposed to open in 2020. Yes. Um, but because of 2020, right. you know, they, they kicked it down the road. And I guess at some point they just had to sort of. We've got to put it in the theater somehow. Some yeah, way. hold their yeah. nose and make the leap and see what happened. And sadly, what happened is Omicron. So. Right. Um, so, uh, as you were saying, you, y'all, Los Angeles Film Critics Association gave uh, Ariana DeBose uh, the Best Supporting Actress Award. In all the hubbub recently about critics and their opinions about the Academy Awards and, you know, all the online, you know, sniping mm-hmm. going on. I will have, I, ha- I am about to give you my one Academy Award, uh, uh, thought. I will have no other thoughts about the Academy Awards. <laughs> They're a fun entertainment show to watch. I love the outfits. Yeah. The films that win or don't win, it, it doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. Some of them are good that win, and some of them are bad that win. And it is that way every year. It has always been that way, year after year. Some good films win Academy Awards. Some bad films also win Academy Awards. Some staggeringly wonderful films never get nominated for anything. So they are no kind of guide to quality. They are a fun television program to watch. I will be watching this fun television program later on. Give Ariana DeBose her Academy Award today. (laughs) There. That is my thought about the Academy Awards. Because, oh my God. I didn't know who she was before this film. If I have seen her in anything else in cinema or television, I forgot. I'll never forget her now. Yeah. Because she is like the pull of gravity in this movie. 
Furthermore, she's the person who is mostly defying gravity in this movie. <laughs> the America sequence oh, God. is so great. In the original film, takes place on a rooftop. Yeah, uh, at night. At night. And here takes place in, you know, the bright midday sun, in the middle of the street. Yeah. And I'll tell you something. You got. You know how you can make me love a musical? Get everybody out dancing in the street. Mm. One big giant production number, dancing in the street, and so they do. She's that part in the middle of a kaleidoscope that has <laughs> all the lights in it at the same time. The costumes, the dancing, the cinematography. Janusz Kaminski. And it's, I don't know what color process oh, yeah. they've used in this film, but it looks like period Technicolor. Yeah, like, like old Life magazines or something. It's astonishingly beautiful. The dancing is very well choreographed. And do you know how I know this? Because they don't cut away from it. Yes. They don't do that greatest showman nonsense Ugh. where you're just chop, 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 and you never get a sense of any one person's fluid mov- movement yes. across the street or the stage or whatever it is they're supposed to be dancing on. They hired people who could dance. They had enough time to rehearse them, and they had enough time to shoot it so that it, in the old school way, they do it until they get it right, and the camera can just You roll. see the dancing. Yes. It's, Thank you, Steven Spielberg. It's thrilling. It it it's it made me so excited, and I'm watching this on a TV. Yeah, it made me so excited that I was m- moved by how excited I was getting. Um, I did that thing at the end of that number where I clapped in a movie. You clapped theater. in a movie theater, <laughs> nerd. Um, mm. it's also moving when it's not thrilling. It's uh, everybody knows how this movie ends. <laughs> if you don't know, um, I, what are you doing? Um, for all the praise that I would give Ariana DeBose, uh, Rachel Zegler yeah. s- kind of slow burns her way through the film. Like, she starts off very, like, I'm sweet and young and innocent. And, you know, and, and over the course of the film, she changes. Yeah. And... Terrible things happen, and she has a a a reckoning with how she's gonna go forward. And her final scene is truly painful and just kind of devastating. Yeah. Um, Even before that, because because like you said, Debose is so strong. Yeah. So a boy like that slash I have a love is you uh, have to have two performers who are on equal footing and who are like giving and taking from each other uh-huh. and they're both they really are just firing on all cylinders yeah. she is just yanking your heart out with the i have a love half of yeah. that uh it's you know and I, I also saw this movie like three days after stephen sondheim passed away right so it was like ah. <laughs> yeah uh it is it is it is a wonderful uh remake yeah now does it fix everything about the 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 racial stereotypes that are in inherent in this story? No. But it also pushes forward in a way that is 
while not, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's playing catch up. Yes. Uh, but this is a, a fine example of where films like this should be going. Well, and, and again, I, you know, I think they, they make a, a bigger deal of the, the notion that the jets who, you know, it's their turf and right. whatever are themselves the sort of mixture of, you know, immigrants, children or, yes. or immigrants, grandchildren. Yeah. And, and it, it, it goes to that thing of like Irish people, Italians, Polish people didn't used to be called white in this country. They all had their moment of, of not being accepted as white yeah. in the in the US. It's like that the open, it's like the opening montage. And I know the, that sounds wild if, yeah. if if you don't know that, but it's it is what happened. Yeah. If you watch the, the, the there's a great I didn't watch the rest of the season frankly, but the opening montage of the most recent season of Fargo sort of shows you like the outcasts who then become the organized crime people who then go legit. Right. And it's like there's the there's the Irish mob and then there's the Jewish mob and right. then there's the black mob. Yeah. And it's like and it's just a, this evolution of like who's the bottom of the ladder. Right. You know, in this country. So I I, I thought that at least was an acknowledgement of like we've been here before, we'll be here again. One thing that is interesting to me about the original lyrics that Stephen Sondheim wrote 60 plus years ago mm-hmm. is how, uh, in spite of the way that, the, that the, 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 the film or the stage play is often like presented, the lyrics of these songs have what they need to be contemporary right now. Sure. You know, included in the song in America, you know, is a, a critique of, you won't get anywhere unless you are white. Yeah, um, it is stated. It is stated explicitly in the lyrics, yeah. and I want to know what 1961 white people thought about that lyric, or did they think at all about it? Well, I, I wasn't think, born yet. I, so. I, I think sadly, it's one of those things where it feels contemporary because the problem hasn't gone away. Yeah. So it's not like oh, it, it, it's as though he foresaw. No, he saw. He saw what was happening then. <laughs> and it's still happening. Right. And so that's why it feels so of the moment. Right. Tragically, uh, we should also shout out Iris Manus, uh, who plays yeah. Anybody's, who is a non-binary performer. Yes. And Anybody's is presented as much as a character in the 1950s could be articulated by someone in the 1950s as a non-binary character. Yeah, non-binary, trans. There is a line that anybody says uh, I where... I ain't no girl. I ain't no girl. Yeah. They're, they're in a, a, a police, station. police station, and they're making anybody sit on the woman's bench right. with uh, a woman who is in the jail for who knows what crime she committed. But um, and, and, and anybody's is clearly annoyed by this yes. and keep saying I'm not a girl I'm not a girl yeah um and so that is uh an interesting development in the, in a character that is that has always been clearly yes. uh, not 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 simply a tomboy right but a a trans person a non-binary person yeah um the uh so yeah uh this is good oh and Ansel Elgort he's a block of wood um the uh but as you wrote in your original review for the rap the original film did not live or die on the raw charisma of richard bamer (laughs) 
Uh, also, uh, ha- after watching uh, this film, I finally went and looked up all of the Ansel Elgort stuff that's oh. going on. And I don't have an answer. Um, it's all going to shake out. He has been accused of sexual assault. Yes. Uh, and it's eventually... The, the facts of this allegation will come to light, I, we assume, we hope, um, and something will happen. But until then, we don't know what's going to happen, and right. we don't know what what the outcome will, will be. Yeah. Um, Dave White, did you know we had a sponsor? Uh-huh. <laughs> what? Our good friend Amber Petty. Uh, oh! Amber <laughs> Petty. If you've ever read something online and thought, I could write that, you're probably right. Oh, the, unless it was written by Alonzo or Dave. Oh, Amber. <laughs> you're so nice. Uh, the number of times people have written into the publications and websites that I have written for and said, fire him. He <laughs> sucks. Uh, I could count them on, uh, well, it would take a lot of hands. Okay. From a lot of people. If you ever read something online and thought, I could write that, you're probably right. Uh, in those cases, you probably won't write something. Oh, oh, sorry. This is still about us. In those cases, you probably won't write something as good. Okay, Amber, you're a doll. Stop. Anyway, breaking into freelance writing doesn't take an MFA or a ton of published articles. Really, you only need a couple of basics, and Amber Petty is teaching those in her new workshop, Start Writing Now and Get Your First Byline. That's the name of the workshop. Okay. You'll find out how freelance writing works, get a list of 250 places looking for pitches, and you'll get some writing done in class. It's 60 minutes on Zoom, and it's free. The last few workshops are this week. To find the best date and time for you, go to amberpetty.com slash linoleum. Well, I like that, Ed. Yeah. I feel so uh, successful as a writer now. <laughs> you, know, you, know what kind of, you know who you aren't, though? You know what kind of writer you ain't? What, what kind? You ain't Bill Shakespeare. It, that, that is also true. You know who is? <laughs> Bill Shakespeare. Bill Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> he wrote that, Macbeth. Oh. Oh, God, we have two Shakespeare adaptations this week. Oh, yeah, you're right. Dawn's on us now. Take it back, Amber. We're idiots. The tragedy of Macbeth. The tragedy of Macbeth. Which Cohen... Joel. Joel Cohen directed this. And Mr. Francis McDormand. It stars uh, uh, Denzel Washington yes. as Macbeth. Mm-hmm. It stars uh, Francis McDormand yes. as Lady Macbeth. You know, there was a time when uh, someone telling his wife, hey, you should play Lady Macbeth was grounds for divorce. But apparently uh, she wanted him to direct her on stage in the role. And he's like, well, I don't. I don't direct the stage. I don't do that. I direct I'm a, the cinema. I'm a film maker, so um, so he made a film instead. So uh, this update is uh, heavily stylized. Um, Boy, howdy, and and shortened as well. Yeah, um, it is as you know uh, the story of uh, uh, Macbeth uh, killing uh, Duncan. <laughs> Oh, a bunch of folks by the time it's done. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, um, and uh, the consequences of that. Yes. If you want to know more details about Macbeth, just go read Macbeth. 
the um, uh, uh, if you haven't read Macbeth and this movie is your entree to that, um, you might keep the closed captions on for sure. <laughs> We had a conversation about this on on Max Film and 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 Iffy about halfway through. It's like okay, I gotta I gotta put the titles on. Oh really? Yeah. Um, you know, I I don't see why uh, you would uh, be you know ashamed of that. No, if you of were course to not. Put them on. Uh, I put them on for everything because I everybody's whispering and mumbling all the time. They are. Uh, Shakespearean language is uh, you know it's very old. And if you're not used to it, if you don't have, uh, if you didn't have uh, teachers in high school <laughs> who hammered it into you and who, no. you know, held your hand as you encountered it for the first time, you know, it's perfectly understandable that you would need those, you know, captions. And even then, so even then, you might be like, playing a little bit of catch up, yeah. uh, being like, okay, he just said. What? <laughs> and what does that mean? Um, so, basically, I'm being perhaps silly right now, but think about Coen Brothers films. Particularly the ones involving crimes. Oh yeah, th- there's, a, there's a direct line back to Blood Simple. <laughs> yeah. Everybody who commits a a murder in a Coen Brothers movie. They begin uh, radiating a, 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 a vibrational field. <laughs> they and they they tip their hand <laughs> everywhere they go. There are tells, and they're gonna get caught. They go full Raskolnikov. <laughs> yeah. So that's basically Macbeth. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, once you get that, it doesn't feel like such a stretch to have a Cohen, you know, directing Shakespeare. Sure. It's where their stories come from. This is an admirable film. That's a good word. And here's what I mean by that. It looks really great. Yes. There is a minimalist uh, production design here that is incredibly striking. Uh, where, where minimalism meets fascist architecture. I yeah. Think. Incredibly striking uh, to look at and everything about it is, you know, sharp angles and weird curves and shadows that apparently were painted onto sets. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, the costumes are like Rick Owens, <laughs> yes, in outer space, <laughs> and the performances are all from serviceable to great. Yes, um, Denzel Washington is a fine Macbeth. He's brooding and he's upset and he mumbles. And he's losing control. Frances McDormand. Why wasn't she Lady Macbeth <laughs> until before now? Like, she could have easily stepped into that role at any point in her career, sold it, and locked it up. Catherine per- Hunter. Yeah, a person I did not know 
Yes. Before this film, she's a stage person. Catherine Hunter uh, plays the witches. All of them. All of them. And she'll blow your mind. Yeah. Um, but sorry, Catherine Hunter, I've given the Academy Award <laughs> to Ariana DeVos. Maybe next year. Maybe you'll get a Tony for something soon. <laughs> yeah, she's... Talk about you will not forget. You will, you not, will forget not forget Catherine Hunter. You will not forget movie. Catherine Hunter or the things she's capable of doing with her yes. body as this witch. And this is just... I'm not saying that her performance is entirely contortions, but they, they go a long way. They, they figure in to uh, the, the the overall the, effect, the things she's selling here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Brent, Brendan Gleeson, Corey Hawkins. Yeah. This is, you know, it's Steven a root. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's an excellent cast and this is, you know, I think, I think this is, Arguably, maybe the most inherently cinematic Shakespeare story to tell. Yeah, you know, because there's more action in it than, than in a lot yeah. of you know this. A lot less like you know, wispy Hamlet standing on the top of the castle, you know, looking at the distance. Um, going on. But you you have talked about this on other podcasts, and and we had this conversation privately as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there've been other versions of this on screen, also true, and they all meant something a little different based on who made them and yes. what they were when, when they were when made. they were made. And, uh, you know, I've seen the opera uh, as well. And my question here, and the question you have brought up in other venues, is. Why Macbeth right now, here and now? Right, and why Joel Cohen? Other than just, other than just, it would be a fun exercise. Yeah, and it has left me as admirable as it is, and as you know, this is quality filmmaking. Yeah, um, it left me cold uh, because I, I felt like I was watching. A really handsomely mounted exercise. Yeah, it's they call this the well-made play syndrome. You yeah, know? Um, yeah. It's like there's nothing that's necessarily wrong with it. It's just, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't grab you the way that it that it could, and and it doesn't have a, a ferocious need to exist in the way that maybe other adaptations have. Um, I, I almost, frankly, I mean, you bring up its sort of thematic connection to other Cohen films. I think they could have taken that further in a way and maybe didn't. Um, and so what you're left with is, yes, a, a, a handsome, striking, handsome, you know, well done, very good production. Very silvery black and white. Yes. Uh, Shot and, by Bruno Delbanel. Yeah. So everything about it is good. Yeah. And yet I was struggling to... It, it is top notch. It does not inspire passion. Yeah. Yeah, there's a coldness. Totally. I need you to explain the Eternals to me. Oh, man. Sorry. Sorry. Eternals. Eternals. Uh, this is not an area where my comic book reading acumen comes into play because I didn't know any of these characters. <laughs> Why? Uh, I, I was. Led to believe. <laughs> Not by me. By you. I was led to believe by you that you were an old school comic book uh, 
a weird person. Mm. Yeah. Uh, anytime a comic book thing comes to a screen, I turn to you <laughs> and I say, what? <laughs> and then you go, okay, well, that's blah, 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 and that's blah, 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 and that's blah, blah, blah. And they're going to do this other thing, and these are infinity rocks or whatever, <laughs> and then there's uh, going to be these uh, 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 scarlet witches come along. <laughs> and then I say, I don't know. And then I just watch the movie and let it kind of whoosh yeah, over I, me. If there was an area, of, like, even when I was reading comics in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s, um, I didn't read everything, and, and you did. You skipped Eternals. I, I skipped Eternals. <laughs> like I, at the time, what made you skip? Them? Well, okay. First of all, it wasn't like there was a a, a, a long running book called Eternals. You know, I, like they they popped up for a bit and then went away, and they were sort of in the background. I was not generally big into like the very cosmicy stuff. What? Like, it just, I don't know. I, I didn't relate to it. It was it was getting more into a sci-fi fantasy realm that was not really my thing. Um, what were you? I much preferred, like, borderline funny superhero comic books that were sort of <laughs> tongue-in-cheek and that were, you know, kind of more relatable, you know, more of the more earthbound stuff. <laughs> I see. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, I you know, like, and this is this is Jack Kirby who did this kind of trippy nonsense at both DC and Marvel. He did, he did the Eternals for Marvel. At DC, he did the with the whole um, the New Gods, which is like Darkseid and, you know, Mr. Miracle and Big Barda. You, these names mean nothing to you. Um, That's correct. So, yeah, I, don't, I, didn't, I did not go into Eternals with much background on their previous uh, incarnation. So I was all, it was as new to me as it was to you. All right. So based on what we watched, here's my understanding. Okay. Of, of what the Eternals are. Yeah. First of all, there's like 20 of them. Yes. And they used to be needed yeah. to fight the, uh, uh, what are they called? I was, I was trying to look that up too. <laughs> the Dementors? Something like that. The, uh, the Deviants. The Deviants. All right. They used to be needed to fight the Deviants. Yes. And then they kind of stopped being needed. Yeah. So they all assumed human form and went to live on Earth. And, you know, if someone ever couldn't figure out why they weren't aging, they'd be like, okay, bye, I'm moving. Like, you know. Yeah. Like Blake Lively in that movie where she wears all the outfits. God, that was such a good movie with outfits. <laughs> what was that called? I don't even remember. The Blake Lively movie with the outfits. The and she age, lives the she age lives of forever. Adeline or something. Something like that. I've still never seen it. Here's my question. Why isn't Blake Lively in this movie as one of these characters wearing all those outfits? That would be her power. <laughs> all right. So then here come the, the deviants again. Yes. And they have to pop up and start doing their, their eternal thing. Yes. By getting rid of the deviants. Yes. Then we learn that they are sort of not their own people. Everything they know about themselves is, is untrue. Yeah, everything they know about themselves isn't real. Yeah. Um, that they are programmed, that they can have their memories wiped, that they can be put in situations where horrifying atrocities are taking place 
and they stand by and watch it, that they uh, are not exactly the heroes of history. Yeah. And that is my favorite thing about this movie. Yes. It is a two and a half hour uh, introductory course (laughs) to these characters. Yes. And because there are so many of them, I said 20. There's like 10. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. There's like a 10 lot, people. A lot of characters you've never seen before yeah. and have to be introduced to who they are and where they came yep. from and what their power is. And, you know, they all know each other. You're learning who they are. You're learning their history. Mm-hmm. And you're learning their present and what they're supposed to do next. Yes. So it's 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 getting a band back together that you've never heard of before. <laughs> yes. All right. And then also them finding out that as a band they've what they thought was was good was actually terrible. Yeah. Um and that's why I think it was a really cool idea to have Chloe Zhao come in and make this film. Yeah. Because as I've said many many times before Marvel movies DC movies, I don't care. I don't care. What I want is fun. Yes. And what Marvel does, I think, better than DC is make stuff fun. Yes. There's always enough humanity and comedy and, you know, uh, you know interpersonal friction. Mm-hmm. There's enough of that going on to keep me watching these characters in between, you know, the alien invasion and having to save the world and destroy things and throw stuff at, you know, throw, throw a building at somebody, you know, whatever. (laughs) Zoom up into space and, you know, contemplate things for a while before (laughs) zooming back down to punch, 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 punch. And then I forget about it. Yeah. This doesn't move to me. It doesn't move the way a Marvel movie generally tends to move. There seems to me to be a lot more of the the human interaction stuff going on. Right. In fact, I could barely tell you what goes down when the action begins because I that's when I started tuning out. I was like, oh, okay, well, we're not going to learn anything about anybody right now. They're just going to fight. Maybe I'll go to the bathroom. <laughs> I am, after all, watching it on Disney+. Plus. I said, you could pause it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, what I love about Chloe Zhao's other films is that insistence on the intimate stuff between people. Yeah. She's good with that. She's good with actors. She's good with... Non-actors. Those. She's good with non-actors, <laughs> yeah. She can get a performance out of a first-time actor. Um, and she seems to be most interested in why people are doing what they do and what dilemmas they're going to face about themselves and how they will move forward. Right. So she's taken what is essentially now her template for, you know, giving you a human story and made it fit a Marvel movie. (laughs) 
Uh, I don't pay any attention to online uh, chatter about these films mm-hmm. because I don't care. Yes. And I certainly don't care about anyone else's opinion <laughs> about these films. Uh, but apparently people did not like this one. They said. Yeah. And not just this sort of like, ew, a girl directed no, no, no. contingent. <laughs> like actual serious film critics have had beef with this movie. I'm sure they did. And I get, here's my, my thing is that this movie is swinging for the fences in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. You know, narratively, it's trying to sort of like question the very nature of like, what is heroism? What is justice? Right. What is, you know, how, how does, how does one use these kinds of powers and who yeah. do they benefit? It wants to ask those questions. It wants to just logistically introduce us to 10 characters and, and, and keep building the brand. Yes. Because that's, I mean, yeah, and these all, characters are all, all going to have to, uh, at some point, Angelina Jolie is going to talk to a talking raccoon. That's just yeah. going to happen. Uh-huh. Um, and I feel that it's a lot to do. Even in two and a half hours, this movie is trying to do a lot. A lot, like, yes. It, to the point where we, it is inevitable that we just stop and let Gemma Chan have the, the dumpiest of exposition dumps. Well, there's a lot of that. Yeah. People do stand around talking about what's going on, who they are, what they're supposed to do what they want to do, what they don't want to do, who they want to do it with. Like, part of me wonders, would this have been better served as 13 episodes on Disney Plus? Probably. As a Marvel series. Probably. Because it's, it's just a lot. And, 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 and I, think, uh, I think Chloe Zhao is doing as well with this as anyone possibly could, but it's, it's just too much. It's too much, to, it's too much sausage and not enough cases. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I I see what you're saying, and I think I basically agree with that. Um, There's some characters, even even with all the time spent talking about stuff, like you still don't really know like who the Barry Keegan character is and what he's about. You think he's the villain, yeah, in the beginning, and then you turn it turns out no, 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 he's trying to fix yeah. things for people. You know, I could have spent a lot more time. With but you're like, right. You don't really know much about him yeah, by the time you know, it's over. I could have spent more time with Gilgamesh. What does he do besides like be real strong and cook for Angelina Jolie? Like, I don't know. <laughs> they, they do introduce the notion of someone who this line of work has been a trauma. Yes. And what that effect would look like. And I think it's very sensitively and intelligently handled. Yes. And, and I... I, I Hope that they get to explore that further in in future movies. But yeah, I I admire, it's like sort of as you are with Macbeth, I admire this movie for what it's doing, but it's like it can't, it's dancing as fast as it can. And it can't give you all the things that it maybe should be both emotionally and just for the plot mechanics of the latest MCU movie, you know? Here are my favorite people. Brian, Brian Tyree Henry. Yes. Because finally we get a finally we get a gay. Yay. And, and Angelina Jolie, who probably shouldn't be in this film. <laughs> like But she commits though. She really does. Um, but here's the thing. There were in this cast of ten ish folks, there were people I've never seen before like who plays the the child uh 
Oh, Sprite? Yeah. Uh, hang on. That is uh, Leah McHugh. I don't know this person. She was. She's one of the kids in the lodge. Okay. But I do know, uh, you know, Brian Tyree Henry, but he's not super famous. Everyone else is, you know, uh, uh, essentially a character actor. You know, you've got Gemma Chan, who's becoming sort of a breakout star. Yeah. Um, Salma Hayek. Salma Hayek, who was a minor, you know, yeah. role in the film. Um, but here's the problem. All of these other characters are sort of disappearing into their character. All these other actors are disappearing into their character. Angelina Jolie is incapable of disappearing into anything. <laughs> She's the sun. And if you stare at her long enough, you will go blind. <laughs> and so, but here's, and, but the, and, there, and therein lies a problem. You just want to keep staring at her mm. because she is such an old-fashioned, glamorous movie star. Yes. That when she's on screen, you're not listening to anyone else do and say anything. <laughs> you're not watching anyone else do any do anything or say anything. You're watching Angelina Jolie react and be poised mm. and be a glamorous movie star. Yeah. Uh, it does throw off the. Can she have nature. her own movie where? She is a superhero that is also a glamorous movie star. Like that should be her life. That should be her fake Earth life. No, that's but that's Kumail Nanjiani's fake. I life know, in this and that's movie. funny. That's yes. a, Kumail a huge Nanjiani, Bollywood star. He is a Bollywood star and has been one apparently for, for several for, generations. <laughs> and no one questions he, it. Well, no, he pretends to be his own grandfather. And oh, father. that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, but you know, come on. <laughs> What else is Angelina Jolie going to do with her life? Mm. Nothing. <laughs> She's genetically incapable of doing anything else with her life. Yeah, like that movie last year where she was like a forest ranger firefighter. Like, okay, Angelina Jolie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did I enjoy watching her be a forest ranger firefighter? Yep. Yes. Because I like watching her do anything. Exactly. Anyway, the Eternals. Sorry. Eternals. Eternals. <laughs> I'll never stop saying the Eternals because they are, in my head, they are a band. <laughs> They're the polyphonic spree. The Archies. <laughs> They're the polyphonic spree of superheroes. Kind of. In, in terms of... 45 members strong. <laughs> now I'm just imagining like the drum kit with the Eternals on the, on the bass. No, you know who's playing the drums? That octopus from Aquaman. <laughs> It's like eight drum sets. Booga, right. booga, 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 booga. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, that would be a crossover, wouldn't it? It would. That's DC. That's DC. I don't care. I know you don't. <laughs> <laughs> the worst person in the world. Yes. The latest from Joachim Trier. Yes. Uh, do y'all know the cinema, the Norwegian cinema of Joachim Trier? Reprise. Uh, Oslo, August 31st. Which is a super bummer. Um, uh, Louder Than Bombs, which yeah. is his English language. Uh-huh. His debut and to date only English language movie. Yeah. Uh, so he is a filmmaker. Uh, that horror movie I haven't seen. Thelma. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thelma as well. He's a filmmaker who, not unlike Chloe Zhao, is happiest when he is focusing on 
the mundane details of his characters' lives. Yeah. Um, and he especially likes it when uh, when Anders Danielson Lee is that character. Yes. Because uh, Anders Danielson Lee is in almost every one of these films mm-hmm. uh, from Joaquin Trier. Uh, he's also in um, uh, Bergman Island. Mm-hmm. And this isn't uh, even his day job. I know he's also a doctor. Yes. Don't you hate that? <laughs> Don't you hate it when someone is accomplished in two like major ways? He's the son my father wanted. <laughs> no. <laughs> Alonzo, my, you are the son your no, father I've wanted. I've told the story before. My dad literally... You've told this story once a week. <laughs> literally asked me once, couldn't you be a doctor and a film critic? <laughs> yes. He had... Uh, in case y'all are just joining us, <laughs> just y'all tuning in, the Duralde family is, in the old-timey uh, uh, way of saying it, lousy with doctors. It's true. There are too many doctors in this family. It's... There are enough doctors in the Duralde family to have their own Eternals group. <laughs> Eternals, MD. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so anyway, the worst person in the world is... Uh, the uh, the latest from Joaquin Trier. It stars uh, Anders Danielson Lee and Renata Reins... Reinsve, I think. Reinsve? Uh, Reinsve? I... I am sorry that I do not know how to pronounce Norwegian names. Yes, I would say, if you, if you all have a correction, please take us to Correction Corner. I, I found an interview online where somebody was talking to her and they introduced her as Renata Reinsve and she did not correct them. So I don't know if that all right, means then. that she's polite or that they got it right. We're going to go with Renata Reinsve. Yes. Uh, she plays a young woman named Julie. Yes. Uh, she's a medical student in Oslo. And she doesn't want to be a doctor. <laughs> She changes her mind. She wants to become a psychologist. She wants to change her course of study, study psychology. She has a boyfriend, uh, a guy named uh, Axel. Oh, wait, then she decides she wants to be a photographer. We'll get to that. Well, no, this is before Axel. And oh, then... you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. She meets Axel at the time when she's already now decided she wants to be a photographer. Yes. They become uh, a couple. He is a... Fairly well-known uh, comics artist. Cartoonist, yeah. And he's about a decade or so older than she is. Uh, yeah, roughly like 15 years yeah. older than she is. She's in her 20s. He's just turning 40. Um, and the film is divided into about a dozen 12 chapters, chapters. plus a prologue and epilogue. Yeah. We're told at the very beginning. And in every one of these chapters... Uh, Julie shifts course just a little bit. Yeah. Or a lot. And so there are these episodes where she is moving, you know, in an erratic way through her 20s, quite like... In, in in many ways, quite like uh, Alana Himes character in Licorice mm, Pizza. True. She is a young woman who meanders and moves from person to person, from boyfriend to boyfriend. Tries from, on careers, tries, tries on... Yeah, absolutely. From yeah. experience to experience. Um, 
And in the over the course of the film, you see her start to, you know, uh, develop a kind of self-awareness and self-knowledge and an understanding of where she wants to go. There are... There's a, there's, a, yes. there's a big showy centerpiece in the film that they use on the poster and in the trailers, and it might mislead people as to what the general tone of the film is, but this is a moment that sort of stands on its own, uh, where she decides that she does not want to be in this relationship with Axel anymore, where she instead has fallen for this other guy named Irvin, who she has met at a wedding reception. Yes. The wedding reception scene is also really amazing, because uh-huh. it's a wedding that she has crashed, and she starts flirting with Irvin, and they are both with other people. And they decide to see how far they can push it without technically cheating on their partners. Yeah. So they do all these other very intimate things that aren't actual sex. Right. They watch each other pee. Yeah. <laughs> they smell each other's armpits. That was the best part. Because <laughs> I have never seen anybody do that in a movie before. That, that was the first. So that's know. the best part of the film. <laughs> Um, are you talking about the scene where she runs through the street yes. and everyone stops? Yes, I yeah. didn't want to get too. Well, you said it's in the trailer. That's true. So yes. okay, uh, what happens is she's running through the streets and all other motion, human, uh, automobile, whatever, freezes, and uh, until she finds Irvin, who is the only other person in the city who is also moving moving and they have this day together and then she goes back and picks up exactly where she left off right with, uh, with oxel and it's a it, it's it's thrilling yeah and it, and it's one of those great examples of like in the way that a musical number can move the plot forward like it tells you all these things about her and the way she feels and where her life is without telling you those um yeah i i love this movie so much <laughs> It's a, it's a, it is a film about being in your 20s and yeah. your early 30s when there are so many forces that pull you in so many directions. And obviously not just in your 20s and 30s, in life, yeah. always. You know, as you grow older, you grow into yourself. Right. And you make decisions about your life. Some of them will stick. Some of them will be successful. Some of them won't be. You will, you will not have wasted any time. Yes. It's even, all part of building the... Even on a mistake. Yeah. Because what that mistake does for you is push you into a different direction that's going to be, maybe, we hope, better for you. Yeah. Um, As the Sondheim would say, now you grow. That's the killer, is now you grow. Right. <laughs> um, as you do, some of those, like I said, some of those decisions will stick. Some of them won't. That is the Francis Ha of it all. Mm, yes. Um, yeah, you mentioned Francis Ha and Mike Lee's Career Girls, both of which yeah. I'm, I, are some of my favorite movies, and, and this one totally reminds me of those in a lot of ways. Films that are about coming to understand yourself yeah. are uh, often especially moving, because if you're older, you remember it, yeah, and you're still experiencing it. Sure. You realize that the end of the film where they, where they finally come to an amount of self-knowledge isn't really the end. Exactly. Um, it's the it's a wonderful beginning and the end of that chapter. Yeah, and 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 movies like that also provide wonderfully cringy moments where you as you're screwing up. Yeah, either yeah. you you recognize having made similar mistakes, or at least you recognize that a mistake is being made, yeah. and there will be consequences. But yes, eventually there will be knowledge. <laughs> so you know, like we said, uh, very much like I was talking about Chloe Zhao. 
in the films of uh, Joaquin Trier that are about, you know, people in Oslo having everyday sort of lives. There is, you know, uh, a mundane quality to the things that take place. There's not a giant, you know, plot moving forward. The people meander. Uh, But there's also this, 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 uh, so emotional sweep to it. You know, like you said, there's there's these twelve chapters, and something important happens in all of them. Yeah, and it could be something huge, or it could be something tiny, but it all affects Julie, and it all goes to shape who Julie is going to become. Renata Risa, this is like her first major acting role in a film, and she and Penelope Cruz for me uh-huh. are like the two reigning like crowns of the of the year just passed. Yeah. Cruz and Parallel Mothers were not a Reinsvay in this film. Extraordinary. She really is. She's she's something very special to watch yeah. in this film. In the same way that I felt about Alana Heim in, mm-hmm. in Licorice yes. Pizza. You know, this this very captivating screen presence, a person you haven't seen do things before. Yeah. Um, and they're introducing themselves to you. Yeah. Uh, and showing you what they can do. And they can do a lot. Yeah. Uh, this is very spare, sort of simple, I say simple in quotes, filmmaking. <laughs> that occasionally reaches outside of reality, the, the, yeah. the sequence that you were discussing, and in sort of a magical, you know, thing that then returns itself. It writes itself again, and it goes back to reality. Um, anyway, uh, it's opening in theaters on February fourth. Yeah, and uh, if that's it's, two days from now, if if it's if or it, today, if you're listening to the show on the fourth, yes, if it's or if, last week, if you're listening to it later, <laughs> if it's near you and you you feel safe going to see it, you you certainly should. Uh, if not, I'm sure it will be, you know, streaming within a few weeks. Um, in the in the manner of movies Everything, now, yeah. Uh, but yeah, do we know was, where it's going to wind up? I, I don't. Yeah. Uh, it's Neon is releasing it. And, um, oh, and they're so great about making sure everyone understands where things are showing up. <laughs> yes. Wherefore art thou, Memoria? Uh, yeah, this was in my top. Uh, apparently, Memoria went to Chicago for a week. Did anybody in Chicago listening uh, get a chance to see it? Did you know it was Did you even there? No, exactly. You it's... go to the Neon Memoria site, and there's they never update no it. No information <sighs> about what anything is. They are doing the worst possible job Yikes. of getting this film in front of people in a way that people know it's even coming. Right. When's it coming to L.A.? Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, Worst Person in the World was in my top five. I'm, I'm thrilled that people are not getting the chance. It is really it. wonderful. Yeah. I I felt so good and full mm-hmm. <laughs> when it was over. and I've seen it twice now. Yeah. I will be seeing it again. Oh, and dude loves a needle drop as well. <laughs> um and he's good at it. He is. He's got good taste. Yeah. Uh, or at least he has good taste in selecting a music supervisor. Um, Including one of the Harry Nilsson songs from, from Skidoo. Skidoo. <laughs> not the closing credits. Uh, yeah, it would not be allowed to be the closing credits. <laughs> um, so yes, the worst person in the world. Not worst person in the world. The worst this is person. not Eternals. <laughs> this is the worst person in the world. Finally, I get it right. Yes. We have a couple letters. Do we indeed? Yes, we do. Well, what if I want to go make dinner instead? Uh, 
All right. Then what we, if those people can just then, 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 No, then, I'm not. Okay. I'm going to read the letter. All right. <laughs> Thank you. You have a whole 90 minutes before you have to be uh, on another podcast. On another podcast. <laughs> Maximum Film for the Maximum Fun Network. Yes. Mark Hoyk. Hello, Mark Hoyk. Oh, this is a long one. All right. Settle in, everybody. <laughs> Mark Hoyk's got something to say. Yes. Uh, the episode covering Parallel Mothers and Licorice Pizza was outstanding for many reasons, particularly for the fair-minded discussions of the barbs being tossed at pizza. But even more so, it prompted me to bring a couple of things to your attention that I believe you will find very stimulating. The sub-discussion about the film Breezy Mm. and how despite its trappings of playing like a crusty geezer fantasy was conceived by a female screenwriter, Joe, uh, Joe Himes, spurred me to alert you to another film from a Himes screenplay that is finally reaching the public in a proper presentation, Peter Trainer's Death Game, which in a sense is the 180-degree nightmare version of Breezy. In the latter film, Seymour Cassell is a married man, home alone for his 40th birthday, when two attractive hitchhikers, played by Sandra Locke and Colleen Camp, show mm. up drenched from rain looking for temporary shelter. And soon, what starts out like a typical letter to penthouse (laughs) swiftly turns into a proto-funny games nightmare for the older man. It may sound familiar to some listeners because it was recently remade by Eli Roth as Knock Knock, which is not great, but at least it gave us the memory of Keanu Reeves yelling, paraphrased for family consumption, free flippin' pizza! (laughs) There is a lot of colorful history to this film, Producer-director went to jail, possible plagiarism from an earlier adult film. Cassell's voice looped by the editor. Oh my. Too much to cover here, but to see how it stands as a rebuke to the ideas that Himes promoted in Breezy, along with the retroactive fraughtness of having Clint Eastwood's then and soon-to-be-scorned Paramore as one of the leads, makes it something you gents should enjoy. Okay. (laughs) At one point, Sandra Locke literally brandishes a slip of paper with the word Guilty written on it in bold letters, which now serves as a ruefully prescient meme. (laughs) Bob Morosky's Grindhouse releasing has promised this release for a decade, but it is finally shipping out on Blu-ray this month. (laughs) So I hope you will seek it out, and if you like it, make it a pick of the week. Meanwhile, uh, something very unique came to mind as I was watching and thoroughly enjoying Parallel Mothers. Earlier this year, I had the joy of co-hosting a podcast with all about Ovid creator <laughs> B. Peterson called Dance Dorothy Dance, devoted to the films of Dorothy Arzner. But at one point during our ongoing production, we had hit a wall in terms of the readily accessible Arzner films to review. So while taking a break as B. had to go deep breath, the dark web, to get the <laughs> remaining films not readily accessible, we launched a sidebar podcast called Friends of Dorothy to look at films written by women who were frequent collaborators with Arsner. Our first pick was poet and playwright Zoe Adkins, who is not much of a known name these days, but her credits include the original source plays that were adapted into How to Bury a Millionaire and Morning Glory, yeah. and for scripting or co-scripting the film versions of Camille with Greta Garbo and Zaza with Claudette Colbert. Yeah. And if Aaron Sorkin has become the king of condescending great men narratives, for a long while, Aikens was cornering the market on broken-hearted muddlers, narratives in her screenplays for The Right to Love, Once a Lady, Sarah and Son, Lady of Secrets, and probably more I'm missing. 
As such, while watching the twists and turns within Almodovar's screenplay, I so wished I could have uh, had Aikens next to me to see her reactions, as she would have been aghast or green with envy at all of the story possibilities available once you don't have a haze code to appease. <laughs> and I rather believe that, at least indirectly, Almodovar may have been influenced by her body of work in kind, especially since... Uh, Especially since in Aitana Sanchez Gijon's audition scene, while the play she's up for is Dona Rosita the Spinster by Federico Garcia Lorca, I don't think it's an accident that in the English translation of her dialogue, she speaks of being described as an old maid when The Old Maid is a particularly famous broken-hearted muddler play by Aikens based on Edith Wharton's book, which itself became a classic Betty Davis movie. <laughs> A stretch, but I'll allow it. <laughs> so basically, watch Death Game and more Zoe Aikens movies. World star! <laughs> Mr. Hoyk. Uh, I think we need to just turn this podcast over to you. <laughs> Connect the dots. La 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 la. Yeah. All right, here we go. Dr. Steve. Dr. Steve. So much fun to hear episode 555, where you finally got to catch up on films that I braved at the theater this summer, and one of my new favorites. I have thought, I'll try to keep, I have thoughts, I'll try to keep them brief. Growing up on martial arts movies, I enjoyed Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten so much that I saw it twice wow. in theaters, and I think it's worth noting how Marvel used this opportunity to retcon a specific villain we all knew. Mm. Yes, there's the whole Ben Kingsley thing. But the Ten Rings themselves are a reimagining of the legendary Ten Power Rings worn by the Mandarin, one for each finger. Having grown up with old school Iron Man and his battles with the Mandarin, I just thought that was kind of cool. Yes. No Time to Die was a prime example of how not to light black actors. Mm. Lashana Lynch is a stunningly beautiful actor, and I could barely make her out in half the movie. On a similar note, I have solved James Bond's diversity problem. I don't think the answer is to necessarily cast Idris Elba or any other actor of color as the next James Bond. I think the answer is to expand the James Bond universe. For instance, what's 005 up to? <laughs> they are a 00 Asian, so obviously they are capable, but maybe they are also a non-binary indigenous person from a former British colony. <laughs> I want to see their story. James Bond can reappear five movies later when all of the 00s unite Avengers style to defeat... Thanos or some such. <laughs> Smirsh. Is the Harlem apartment courtyard in the final scene of passing the same New York City apartment courtyard from Only Murders in the Building? I think it is. Oh. I don't know. I have to look. Somebody in New York, tell me. Yeah. Tell us the answer to that one. Uh, my mother, who is very fair, told me stories of entrenched colorism, quote, the black elite, and whispers of cousins who had passed and drifted away from the family. Mm. So a lot of what is in passing registered with me. For my partner, parallels to the closest came to mind immediately. I found another comparison. Literary history is replete with tragic homosexuals who must die to serve the story. Same with the, quote, tragic mulatto who must die for their sin of trying to pass. See, for instance, the movie Imitation of Life. Mm -hmm. Since the source novel Passing was written in the 1920s, I believe the character Claire was written in this context. Yeah, Thank you, Dr. Fair. Steve. You always got 
smart things to say to us. Indeed. Uh, if you'd like to drop us a line, you can uh, reach us at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. Hey, we have a Patreon. We do. At patreon.com slash linoleumknife. Yes. You get tons of extra content depending on what level you want to subscribe at. But even at a dollar a month, you get... You get uh, something. You get things. You get Whether couple, you like it or not. Yes. You get extra shows. Uh, our, our extra content includes Linoleum Knife Presents More Linoleum Knife, where we go in... On one film in particular. Just this uh, past week, we did Love and Basketball. Yes. And The Rules of the Game. Indeed. And in February, we're going to do two more. We will. Uh, LKTV, a podcast of the television, Linoleum Knife and Fork, a food podcast hosted by two film critics, and Linoleum Nights, where we talk about whatever we want. Whatever and, the hell we want. And we use swears, and we, we uh, record There's it a lot live of on Facebook, if you want to watch us do that on a Sunday morning. Um, so yeah, lots of fun stuff over at uh, patreon.com slash Linoleum Knife. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, check out my other podcasts, um, uh, Maximum Film, as Dave mentioned, Breakfast All Day with Christy Lemire, which you can find us on YouTube or as a podcast. And uh, I pop into Deck the Hallmark once a week where uh, Bran and I are making each other watch things over the 25 weeks of Christmas, we're calling it. Uh, here's, the, here's the best part of that show. What's that? When Bran makes you watch something that you hate. Yes. And then he says to you, I don't care, Alonzo, if you <laughs> like it or not. I'm showing him That's classics my favorite thing that he does. from before he was born in 1992. He is making me watch movies that I've either... Brand is shockingly young. I know, I know. Like, he's, he's the father have, of how many children already? And like, and we I'm have nieces like, and nephews. We, most of our nieces and nephews are older than he is. <laughs> Because we're old. Um, and, and, and then he shows me movies from after 1992 that either I have never seen or more likely don't like. And he's trying to win me over. He has yet to do so. But you never know. We had 25 weeks. Anything could happen. I want to know how he's going to react to what you watched this week. I need to I need to be sort of listening in on that one. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know. Perhaps interjecting if I need to. Uh, I won't interject. <laughs> I don't know how you could hear it actually because it's a you know I have my headphones on so oh I can hear everything coming out of your headphones okay like all the time okay yeah great perfect anyway um, you can uh, subscribe to the show for free at Apple Podcasts leave us a five star review there and uh, we'll read it on the air you can also leave us positive feedback in the many places that we stream. Uh, including Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Play, CastBox, Podbean, and many others. Um, and uh, thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. Check out his new album, Six Tape, at blueblu.bandcamp.com. We'll be back next time with more. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>